Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are finishing up our last week in the Ask Anything series. So for a few weeks now, you have given us questions and we've tried to answer them. Our distinguished panel has done a great job. Uh, And speaking of that distinguished panel, let me introduce them to you. Uh, Next to me, uh, right here is our senior pastor, Don Headley. Next to him is worship pastor and drum extraordinaire today, Tim Milner. Um, Next to him is our outreach and missions pastor, Ryan Dwyer, just almost lost it right there. Um, And on the end, Mike James, our growth pastor. So today, um, for the first half of our service, thank you, Cersei, chivalry is not dead. Um, We're going to kind of rapid fire some questions. These were all questions that we lumped together because they are about church practice. And we're specifically going to address them as church practice here at MVF. So we're just going to kind of roll through these and then we've got a little something uh, different for you at the end. All right. So first question. Why do we use the NLT version here at MVF? And just in general, why are there so many different Bibles available? So let me answer the second question first. Why do we have so many different versions of of the English Bibles? Um, The Bible was originally written in three languages, uh, ancient Hebrew, ancient Greek, and a language called Aramaic. And it's just a small part of the Bible. And so any English version we have is a translation. And when you set out to do a translation, there's two big things you have to think about. One is your philosophy of how you're going to translate, and the other one is your source. What are you going to use to translate? And so uh, with the philosophy, there's two main philosophies out there. One is what we call word perfect. They try to look at the original, uh, original language word and try to find the perfect English word to match that. Um, it's really great because you have a, a pretty accurate, but it tends to be a little clunky right? It's kind of hard to read. And then the other way is what we call idea perfect, where they look at maybe a sentence or a paragraph and then translate it in English, thinking about the idea that's there. Um, The NLT or New Living Translation is part of that that second part. It's It's a translation that's idea perfect. In particular, it was translated with the thought of being able to read out loud easily, which makes our job up here on stage is a little easier to to read something that's easy to read. Um, The second big thing about uh, translation is the source. So we don't have any original copies, the original ones that that Paul or Peter or anybody else wrote out. Uh, What we have instead is manuscripts, which are copies. They're accurate, but they're copies of it. And so one of the other things is which copy do you use? Because sometimes there can be slight differences between them. And we also like the NLT um, just because it uses the ancient um, Masoretic uh, Hebrew text. It's the oldest part of the Hebrew text. And it also uses the oldest Greek uh, versions that are available. And so we just think that that's, that's a little bit better for us. 
All right. If I was baptized as a baby, should I get baptized as an adult or a teen? Absolutely. Um, if you if you were here two weeks ago, Pastor Don talked about baptism and what that signifies for us here at Mount View Fellowship and for many churches. And that that is one way in which you proclaim that Christ is Lord of your life, that he is your Savior. And so when you're a baby, it's hard for you to know that you're doing that and you haven't come to that knowledge yet. So as an adult or as a teenager, if you've, if you've surrendered to Christ and you're reconciled to him, then yes, we would strongly encourage you to be baptized, and we would love to do that, and we'd love to have you as part of one of our baptism services. And our next one is January 9th, so you can get signed up for that on the app, or get a hold of one of us, and we'll make sure that we get you in there. Great. Why do we only do communion once a month? The Bible does not specify frequency of doing the Lord's Supper. All it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is whenever you do it, we are to do it in remembrance of our Lord. And so the early church, actually, in the book of Acts, they were meeting daily and breaking bread together. They were having the Lord's Supper every day. That seems a little much for us in our culture. Uh, There are other churches and traditions that do it every week. There are some that do it the first Sunday of every month. That's probably the most common in evangelical tradition. Uh, Here at Mountain View, we do it uh, once a month-ish. So whenever it kind of fits what we're doing. But something we want to um, highlight for you is that you don't have to come to church right here to do communion. You can do it in your homes. You'll remember a few weeks ago I, I preached to you guys about the fact that we're all priests. We all have direct access to God. We don't need a pastor to administer communion. That's not biblical. We have the ability to do that for ourselves. Anywhere a gathering of believers is occurring, you can do it in your homes. You can do it in small groups. Do it as part of your small group sometime. It's Thanksgiving week. Make it a part of your Thanksgiving celebration. There's all kinds of ways that you can incorporate this. Uh, The point is, when you do it, do it in the right spirit. Do it to remember and honor the Lord. That's all there is to it. Why do we not have altar calls or invitations to accept Christ each week? Okay, impromptu survey. Feel free to participate or not. How many of you know what an altar call is? Maybe a third. Um, so the vast majority in here are unfamiliar with that term. So traditionally speaking, if you grew up in church, at the front of the church, you would have what was called the altar. And at the end of each service, the pastors would generally make an altar call or an invitation, basically inviting some people to come up. If, they, if the Holy Spirit moved them that morning, they would invite them to come up to the altar with an invitation to receive Christ that day. So that is not something that if you've been here for a while at Mountain View that you would witness that we do every week. It is not a tradition, if you will, that we've maintained, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the heart for it. Um, if you, if again, you've walked through that, that foyer out there at all or the lobby area, you see on the wall that we are pointing people to Jesus while fostering relationships. And just like Pastor Tim just talked about, he has elaborated a little bit on what it means to be that we're all priests. And so if we're all priests and we're pointing people to Jesus while fostering relationships, you're called to those altar calls or those invitations on a day-to-day basis. So if you're at the water cooler and your coworker confides in you that they have just truly been struggling in life and they, want, they, they recognize that there's something different about you and they want to know what that is and they desire to have that, you don't tell them, well, come to church on Sunday, we'll have an altar call. <laughs> Seriously, you say, you know what? I want you to know the same Jesus that I know. And hopefully, by the grace of God, you get to be the conduit for that 
that situation in which somebody gets to come to know Christ, and we have one more that is back in God's fold. Should I become a member of MVF, and how do I join? The membership that we're familiar with when it comes to, especially the American church, the Western church, is a little different uh, because what the way we see it is, uh, well, when you find a church that you like, then you have to sign a piece of paper and become a member of that church. And, and uh, when you look at Scripture, you won't find that anywhere in Scripture. And so how in the world do we end up with that? Well, the reason we ended up with that is because as American churches, we are considered 501c3 nonprofit organizations, and we're, requ- we're required by the U.S. government to have a membership role. And so that's how that all got started. So uh, if you really look at Scripture, what you see is not so much uh, a piece of paper as it is the fact that God calls each of us to plug into a local body of believers to commit ourselves and, and to put down roots and serve and grow and, and exercise our talents and our spiritual gifts, which he's gifted us with, to edify the body, to build up the body in Christ so that it can be all that it's called to be. And so uh, just to put it succinctly, I would say that God is more interested in your heart than a piece of paper. And so he wants you to commit yourself. And if it's not this church, find another one. But you need to be committed to a church. Hard times, good times, it doesn't matter. Plug in, stay there, put down deep roots, and grow. And that's, that's the idea. Now, with all that being said, we are an American church, 501c3 nonprofit. We are required to have a membership role. So uh, what we say is, hey, if God has placed it on your heart that this is your church, like you're, you're all about this, uh, this is where I'm going to put down some roots and grow, and you want to become a member here at Mountain View Fellowship, uh, this is how easy we've made it. Uh, we have come up with a form we call the Invitation to Community because that's really what we see in Scripture. And there's eight cornerstones of the faith on there. And we just tell you, if you want, you can go to the information booth. You can ask for one. Read over those eight. If you agree with those eight, you sign it. And guess what? You're a member at Mountain View Fellowship. How can I, next question, how can I become more involved at MVF to use my skills, talents, and gifts? As I just said, uh, hopefully, if, you've, if you're new here, you know, we give you time to check things out to see if this is the place where God's calling you. And if this is, if this is a place that you're connecting and, and you're ready to grow and, and, like I said, put down some roots, uh, we want you to do that. So the easiest way to do that would just jump in. Just become part of the family. It's pretty easy around here. Uh, we put Morgan and Trooper's email addresses up there for you. They're pretty easy to remember. Um, Trooper runs our AVL team, which is why you're able to hear my voice right now and live stream and the video and slides. And they handle all that. So if that's something you're interested in, you can start volunteering with him. Morgan is our director of volunteers. She handles all of our greeters, the people that handed you a donut or coffee this morning or you know, came in early and made it, set up chairs, all these different things. So if you're interested, contact those two, and they can get you plugged in right away and get you serving. Now, the biggest thing that we teach here is there's five expectations for every uh, MVF member. And we just say it this way, attend regularly. So jump in, attend regularly, and then serve. Find a place to serve. And that might for you just might be um, serving at the door right now just to try that out, see what that feels like. And then start praying and looking for the place where you can really exercise your gifts and, and have an impact in the kingdom. We also want you in a life group, to be part of a life group, and then uh, share your story, uh, which is what Brian, uh, Ryan was just talking about a second ago. 
you know, reaching your family and friends and coworkers and fellow students for Christ and just sharing the gospel, what God has done in your life. And then, of course, um, give. Give of, of your finances, give of your time, your knowledge, your wisdom, all those things into this body because that's what makes us um, effective at growing the kingdom. Great. All right. Um, why are the ministry directors at MVF not pastors? We have a um, couple of different levels now. In business, um, many times you'll see where you have your board is way up here, you know, your CFO, CEOs, and then, you know, you, you build it from the top down. Jesus came and he flipped everything upside down. And so we have something here called elders, and we call them the servants of the servants. And so really, you're taking a demotion to become an elder here at Mountain View Fellowship. Then you have the pastors, and then you have our, our ministry directors, and everything's built upside down here because of the way that Jesus taught us how to lead. And so what we see in Scripture is that um, the, the role of pastor and the role of elder is reserved for qualified men. And we see that in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter 5, and, and we could go on. But just to give you a few if you want to look those up. And if you want to read them later on, if you didn't get those, just come see me. I'll, I'll be happy to share that with you. But here's, here's what we find out, is that God has made men and women differently, regardless of what our culture is trying to tell us right now, right? And we complement one another. God has gifted us differently. He, he, he's built it this way. And so in no way, I want, I want everyone to, to hear me when I say this, in no way does that say that men or women are more superior or inferior. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with complementing one another and building on strengths. But what we see in Scripture is that God has called certain men into the role of uh, pastor, certain men into the role of elder. Now, does that mean we can't uh, have women leading here at the church? Absolutely not. And uh, I'm sitting next to one of our greatest leaders in this church, and Jody has done an amazing job of raising up all these godly women leaders here at Mountain View Fellowship. And actually, I, I tell our men all the time, our women are doing a better job of leading than our men. We've got to step it up a little bit. And so we have so many great uh, women leaders in this church leading at all different levels. But we see in Scripture that the, the pastoral role and the elder role are reserved for qualified men. And that bar is set really high even for those men. And uh, so uh, I would just ask that you pray for those uh, men that are, are pastors, obviously, and for our elders as well. All right. How do I request prayer? Uh, there's some practical ways. One would be if you came in this morning, there's, we still have a hard copy of our connection card that you could get from our volunteer director or in the info center, and you can request prayer on that. You could also go to the app, and there's the virtual connection card in which you can put a prayer request there, and you can do it via email. So those are just a few practical ways, but the, again, as, as James was talking about this morning, and as you've heard from this table, it's, it's about our heart. And so we desire that you at some point get to the level that you're vulnerable enough to just ask the person sitting next to you. Would you mind praying for me? I've been going through some stuff lately. Would you be willing to pray with me right now? It might be in the middle of worship set. It might be now. It might be where you are just at the point of, that you're completely broken. And we want you to feel comfortable knowing that God wants his people to be praying for each other. And that we have a heart for each other just like Christ does. Is tithing still relevant today? And when should I start tithing if I'm new to MVF? 
So I'm going to copy uh, Ryan for a moment. Survey. How many of you guys know what tithing is? Actually, more. Wow. Okay. So tithing is a, an Old Testament term. It literally means a tenth. And the context was um, the Israelites were supposed to uh, give their first fruits. They were supposed to give a tenth of what God gave them back to the temple. Okay. Um, and it was used by the temple to maintain the temple, to continue worship. It was to provide for the priests and the gatekeepers and the attendants and to care for widows and orphans. That's what its purpose was. Um, there were additional things that the Israelites were supposed to give to. In fact, if you total all of what they were commanded to do, it was about 23% of their income. Um, so a tenth seems a lot better than that, right? A little bit smaller. In the New Testament, some people read it and say, well, there's not directly a section on the New Testament about tithing, so it must not be relevant. Um, and that, I think, just kind of goes this under, under thought that the Old Testament doesn't apply to us. The truth is, it's the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, it all applies to us. There are some things that Jesus came and he completed and he changed a little bit out of the Old Testament. So like a lot of the dietary laws, um, we don't, I'm not concerned about whether I'm eating a cricket or a locust, okay? I don't know if any of you care about that for Thanksgiving either. Jesus changed that and said, the food doesn't matter, it's about our heart, right? So there are some things in the Old Testament that aren't as relevant to us, but tithing is still there. It's still one of those things. And in fact, Jesus talked about tithing in terms of our heart posture in a story uh, Luke 21, he was in the temple um, getting ready for Passover. And it says, uh, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts into the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins or copper coins or mites, depending on your translation. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. It was about her heart. She was coming in worship to God and in thankfulness, giving him everything. And she trusted that he would still provide for her. And that's, that's what we need to look at for tithing and to kind of model. We still should give to our church. If you are coming here and you have made this your church home, you should be giving. And you, you just need to start. Um, it is an act of trust in God. It stretches us. It's hard sometimes to give it. Um, times are tough. And so it stretches us and it allows us to, in faith, trust that God is going to step forward and he's going to be faithful like he says he is. Are we focused on the 10%? Not, not so much. But I think it's a good target. But again, it is certainly better than 23%. Um, if this is your home, you start giving now. In the U.S., um, about 2.5% is the tithe that's coming in in churches across the U.S., which is pretty small. Um, it's really not enough for the church to do what it's supposed to. In fact, there's a lot of what we call parachurch ministries, other ministries that have popped up in the last 30 or 40 years, and they're doing things that are needed because the church doesn't have the resources to get it done. And if God's people across everywhere, the world, were giving 10%,
the church would be the one that was running homeless shelters and food shelters and, and doing all of this other stuff, sending min, uh, missionaries. So I think it has to do a little bit with an American thing. We like control, don't we? And so even in giving, sometimes it's hard for us just to give generically to the temple or to the church. We'd rather kind of pick and choose where we give. And so I'd encourage you, give to the church. This is your body. Give the tithe. Challenge God and say, God, it's going to be hard, but I trust you. And see what he does. Give with a, a cheerful heart. It's out of that heart posture. And I would encourage you to kind of start now. Um, I'm going to say some things that Pastor Don, when he speaks about tithing, he's a lot more gracious than I'm going to be. We aren't getting it done right now. Our church is pretty good. Um, my estimate is we're about a 4% tithe is kind of what's coming in, which is great compared to the rest of the U.S., but it's not enough. During the COVID era, God has provided for our church. We have never missed a bill. We've been able to pay what we need to. But there have been a lot of times that we have not done things that we wanted to do because financially we couldn't do it. And we're kind of in that place now. Um, we're still paying our bills, but we're eating into our savings every week. And it's a time of year where that normally doesn't happen. During the summer, we kind of expect it, but fall, we don't. And so we need you in. We need you to go ahead and start giving. If you're not yet, do it. If you're not giving maybe as much as you could, give a little more and trust God. Um, we will continue to be great stewards of the resources God gives us. We're very mindful. We don't waste things. Um, but we need to end. We need to end in terms of attending, growing, serving, praying, giving, and sharing your faith. Those are the things that Don mentioned before. We need you in on all of those things. Um, recently, we've shared with the church seven initiatives, seven things that are God-sized things that we are feeling called we're supposed to go do, planning churches, starting some other services, a number of things. And we need God to show up in those, so we need to be praying for him. But the reality is we also need finance to make it happen. And so we needed to jump in. Um, I don't want you to give just because I'm, I'm telling you to. I don't want it to be about guilt or anything like that. It really is a heart posture of thankfulness, of stepping in and giving to God. I know some people are saying, man, I can't give right now. Things are too tight. I challenge you, if you can't give now, when are you going to give? Give any amount you can. Um, giving out of our surplus is easy. It's that act of faith and obedience when we give when it is hard. And we just have to trust him. And, and one last thing, this isn't biblical, this is just practical. I would encourage you, if you're committing to go ahead and start giving, do it online automatically. A couple things. That way it happens. It's really easy for somebody to miss a couple services because of something and they just don't give. But the big thing is when you start giving online automatically, it allows us to be able to plan. We know income is coming in and therefore we can make some decisions about what ministries we're going to move forward with and not. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so get in. Well, I want to just say thank you for sending all your questions in. If something still is unclear or another question popped up, you still can text the Ask Anything and they will respond to you. You also um, can come up and talk to them anytime. They're very open 
to uh, answering questions that way as well. We're going to switch gears now, and we are going to transition to address the elephant in the room. Did you hear that little play on words? There's an elephant in the room. And it's in the form of a funk, a funk that many of us are feeling or we have been feeling maybe for, oh, about 18 months to two years now. And so, uh, Pastor Don, will you define the funk? I'll do the best I can. This, uh, I want you to hear me say this as pastors. We have been talking about this for quite some time, and we, we rushed through those uh, answers here this morning so that we could get to this because as pastors... We feel like we need, to, we need to say this. We need to put a name to this so that we can address it. And, and hopefully you guys will uh, identify with this um, and, and we can give you some direction. As pastors, we take this shepherding thing so seriously. And we know that we're kind of headed down a, a tough path right now. And so we just want to guide and direct, give, give some advice in hopes that uh, as we move through this, that it will be better for you. But we've been talking for several months about the only way that we could describe it was a funk. We just said there's this funk that's going on. We're, we're in this place where uh, it, it, things feel disjointed. Like, like we feel like, okay, we should be back to normal, but I'm not back to normal. I don't understand. It's, it's this general sadness, almost like this cloud hanging over us a little bit. Um, I, I don't want to say it's, it's on the level of depression, but maybe there's a touch of that hitting. It's, it's, it's kind of dark. Uh, nothing seems to feel right. Like we're like, this should be better. I don't understand why it's not better. Uh, we should be getting back to, to normal, but there's something going on within me. Like my stomach's all knotted up and, and there's this bad taste in my mouth and I don't understand why. And, and I mean, we're just kind of struggling. We're kind of wrapped up tight right now. And is anyone, is anyone out there, rec- are you with me in this? Okay, good. Um, I, I was looking um, at each of you trying to figure out, are you guys sensing the same thing we are? See, we, we sense this not, and we're, we're talking from experience here. But we're also counseling so many different people, and we keep coming back in going, man, it's the same thing. Like, there's this, this thing going on with them. They're angry, they're upset, they're frustrated, and they don't even know why. And then we start looking at the world around us, our community and our country, and we're like, I think it's happening everywhere. I don't think it's just here. Like, it is unbelievable the, the amount of requests that we're getting for just coming in to talk and, and for some counsel. And, and we're, we're starting to identify it's this, this funk that's just going on. And there's a lot of uh, just shortness with each other. I mean, sharp tongues, and there's some anger, there's some things boiling over. And this is the one that really concerns me, is that there's a lack of joy. Like, we've lost our joy because of the situation that we're in. Yeah. Mike, do you want to talk to some physical things also going on with that? Sure. Um, We know that one of the things COVID does, one of the symptoms, is it takes away your taste and your smell. And for some people it doesn't come back for quite a while, right? And I think in general, that's part of the funk is even if you have COVID or not, kind of your taste for joy, your smell for joy has disappeared. And it, it sends like we're almost on this, uh, this treadmill of just the same thing over and over instead of starting to feel again, right? Um, there's also a physical component to this. And, and I think Tim's gonna talk in a few moments about the real cause of the funk. But just so you know, you're dealing with something physical as well. It's not just mental or spiritual. It's a physical deal. One of the amazing things about the body that God has given us is that it adapts. Um, Physical exercise causes stress on our body, and then our body adapts and we get in shape, right? It's a great thing. 
But if you're under constant stress, you know, we kind of end up in this fight or flight kind of mentality. And if you're constantly in that, your body adapts to it. Your hormone levels change. There's things that are going on in your body chemistry. And even when the stress is gone, your body is still reacting as if it's there. And I think that's where we're at. And we need to reset. We got to figure out how to let our bodies know we're not in the place that we were. We're okay. I know COVID made some major changes for a lot of you in your lives um, in terms of you know, people that were sick, maybe you lost some loved ones that affected your job, whatever. But if we step back for a moment, I think we can start to see and change our attitude and realize a lot of the basic things of our life have not changed. God's still there. Most of us, he's still providing. There's still food on the plate. Um, and we need to let some of that stress go so that we can actually relax. So, Tim, do you want to speak now to um, what's going on behind the scenes, if you will? Okay. I'm going to peel the curtain back here so you can see what's actually going on. Because as Christians, we have the Word of God, which gives us an immense amount of information and ammunition against our great adversary. This is not a mystery. His name is the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him. He has several titles in Scripture. And spirit-filled Christians are familiar with his schemes. In other words, we know how he operates. We are told in Scripture what his objectives are. We know that he is the present God of this world, the God of this current age, and so on, and that he steers the political realm and the global agenda toward a time when he and his false trinity will rule the world. That's all in Scripture. But ultimately, he will be defeated and cast into the lake of fire for eternity. So that's a bit of a backdrop. Um, Satan hates God, and he is the enemy of humanity. And so if you look at a place on earth like Haiti or Venezuela, that is what Satan wants globally. You understand his objective, right? Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. His goal is to deceive the nations. And our world is falling apart because his lies are working and most of the powerful, wealthy, influential people and corporations on planet Earth are playing right into his hand. And so Jesus told us that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the last two years, he's been having a heyday in this country and on this planet because we live now in a post-truth world that has done three things. It's kicked God out of the classroom, it's kicked God out of the politics, and it's kicked God out of the judiciary. And our culture would now rather live and believe a lie than turn to God's word in full repentance and submit themselves to his authority and his ways. And so we live in a day that the Bible described back in Isaiah chapter 5 where good is called evil and evil is called good. And this is happening by our nation's top politicians. It's happening every day. This has never happened before on the scale globally that it is happening. And so the question becomes, where does this lying and deceiving spirit come from? No one person is smart enough to mastermind all that is going on. And we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood enemies, but against spiritual powers that are controlling media and what information gets out by clearly controlling the delivery mechanisms. In other words, the influence of news and media are controlled by the spiritual realm. We have to understand that. It's right in the scripture, Ephesians chapter 2. We have seen unprecedented censorship and the squelching of expert counter-opinion during this whole pandemic. How is that possible? 
The root of it is actually a spiritual situation that continues to develop. But here's what we need to know. Jesus came to this earth to give his followers abundant life. That starts with eternal life, the promise that he's given us, but it also means a flourishing, joyous life here on earth. It's not a life free of trouble, but joy in the midst of suffering. And so we have to do a heart check because we've got to remember that this world is not our home. But many Christians keep expecting our earthly lives to get better or get back to normal. But Jesus never promised that. And so the question is, are you experiencing the joy of the Lord daily? Or have you become bitter by what has happened? I dare say that the devil has stolen the joy of many Christians. And the devil wants people living in fear and believing lies. So we have this myopic, maniacal focus on one problem to the exclusion of other problems. And Satan wants to destroy marriages and families, and his primary tactic is lies. But Jesus, our champion, has come to destroy the works of the devil. This is the good news. So there's a whole sermon that I could preach on this about spiritual warfare and how to identify whether an ideology or a world event is of God or of the devil. If you know God's word, and we talked about a comprehensive understanding of God's word, if you understand that, then you know that all the things that are happening in this world must come to pass. And history is headed toward a certain and long prophesied path. And as time goes on, I believe we're going to see Satan hiding in plain sight. He's right there. But we as Christians defeat him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's what the scripture says. We are at war, make no mistake about it, but it's not against people. It's against ideologies and philosophies, anything that raises itself above the word of God and God's purposes for the flourishing and good of humanity. And so I want to say this to me as I wrap down my little, my little soapbox here. We are never, as Christians, never to live in fear or hopelessness like the unbelieving world. Christians should never be part of that and get pulled into that. We have a joy that cannot be taken from us. And it goes like this. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This world is not our home. We've got to regain that perspective because then we can live fearlessly and joyfully as many days on this earth as God gives us breath, right? The Bible says we have overwhelming victory in Christ. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Don't be defeated. Don't be discouraged. God is on the move, and in the end, he wins. We are assured of this truth. All right. Ryan, do, speaking of control, maybe some thoughts on what we can control and having victory. So thank you, Tim, for all that, because... Um, <laughs> It's a great, great way to frame our minds. Um, but I'm going to speak from um, just a little bit of flesh here, just as a human being and, and the reality of the situation as well, just what's real in, in our day-to-day lives. And much of what I'm, what I'm sharing is true to me, and I'm sure some of you might experience some of it as well. But I think pre-COVID, um, we, we just carried on with our lives like it was normal. And we, we, we were in control of everything that was going on. We, we went about our morning. We went about our afternoons. Our, everything was just running mostly smoothly. Uh, we, I know we sometimes maybe live in an um, idealistic memory world where everything was good back then. Um, but the reality was we were in control of much of our lives pre-COVID. 
And I think it's fair to say that there are some things right now that have been taken out of our control. And, and, and we're, to be honest, we're never really in control. We believe we are. It's a perceived control to start with. But right now, there are, with each one of us, it's going to be a different thing. But each one of us has something that we can say has been removed from our control. And that's it's challenging. It's aggravating. And it's frustrating because we want to be in control. And so for me, I found myself saying to Amy over the past couple of years, maybe a couple of times, maybe multiple times, and other people, I want to just be angry. Why can't just let me be angry? I mean, it's not typically um, a, a, a space that I'd like to live in. And so I felt justified. And, I'm, and so there are some of these things that are still in our control. My control to be angry. It's in my control to say unkind things. It's in my control to disagree with you to the point that it becomes a sin. All of these things are somewhat in my control, but they're not healthy. And so in the desire to be in control, we have this new norm of living in this space where the things we can control are actually creating some of the venom that we're experiencing in life. And so um, I think for me, my new norm has been allowing Satan's lies to be that it's okay for me to be angry and sin in it and any of these other emotions that I might have in my control. I think, I think we're seeing that play out in um, our relationships. And I'll just speak from a, from a husband, um, father standpoint, right? Um, hey, we're working twice as hard right now. We don't know what tomorrow looks like. I'm frustrated. Don't deal. You know, I can't deal with this right now. And so that, that funk is playing out in our relationships. And, and what Ryan's saying, yeah, it's causing damage to us, but it's, man, it's damaging a lot of stuff around us as well. And this is one of the reasons why we wanted to address this this morning. Yeah, so what are some cures? Maybe throw some out there, Mike, some cures for, for this funk. It, it is a spiritual problem. So it demands a spiritual answer. Um, something I, I say all the time is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at, One a, time. Bite at a time, right? Some of you already know. It's sometimes it's the simple things. It's, it's the simple things that begin to change, particularly when it's about our new normal being anger and fear and worry. Um, and those simple things is prayer. Um, praise, time in the word, listening to God, um, being in community with other, other believers. Have you heard these things before? <laughs> I mean, this is what we say all the time. And, and yet it, it really has huge power to let God work through these things. Prayer, praise, the word, and others. And so maybe that's the cure, is just getting into those sort of habits and allowing to, to talk to us. Particularly in prayer, I think there's something that we can do. It's um, prayers of lament, which we're not used to. We're not a lamenting culture often. Uh, lament is basically expressing grief and sorrow to God. Um, a lot of the Psalms, when you read them, a lot of the Psalms, whoever was writing it was going through a hard time and almost like shaking fists at God saying, I can't believe these things that you're allowing to go. But the thing about lament and those Psalms is at the end, it always ends with, you're God, I'm not, but I'm going to trust you, <laughs> right? And that's lament, getting that place that we can grieve. Things have changed. 
We are no longer in control. That, that image that we had that we were has been shattered. And so now it's grieving that change before God, praying it out and allowing him to change our hearts, trusting him. Um, there's this uh, book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. People don't usually go to it. It's maybe not the most uplifting book in the Bible. One of the things about it is, is the author says over and over, everything is meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. The Hebrew word is hovel. Everything is hovel. Again, it's not a real page turner, is it? <laughs> and yet, that book has incredible hope. If you actually read through it, what that author is saying, all the things that we chase after, success, fame, relationships, collecting the most that we can, whatever it is, they are meaningless. And in the end, what matters is our relationship to God. And the simple things that God gives us on a daily basis that we can count on, that we can find joy in. Um, Ecclesiastes Bailey tells us that we can't control our lives. So don't try. Give our lives to God. Trust him. You can only control one thing, as, as Ryan was talking about. We can only control our attitude and our response. This week, uh, God gave me Proverbs 15.15. 15. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. But for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. It's all about attitude. If you are having an attitude that you're expecting bad to happen, your expectations are going to be met. But if you're willing to look for joy, you'll find it. Some of the things that God says we can, we can trust, we're going to see that are joyful. Rest after hard work, a conversation with a good friend, a good meal, the sun on our face. Enjoy those simple things. And I think being in God's word and looking for those joyful things will change things around. In the end, the cure for the funk, the way to be defunkified, <laughs> is to allow God to change our perspective and our attitude, to look for those things, to to look for opportunities we can trust him and we can find joy. And knowing that it's not a quick fix, this is going to take some time, um, what uh, are some other real practical ways? Don, you want to start? We're going to give you some uh, quick practical things that uh, we can do, uh, especially during this season, to try to overcome this funk and, and work our way out of it. First one I would say is uh, be careful how you spend. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but inflation, house prices, right? We can uh, fuel. Uh, I'm sure you're all filling out like we are. And then, of course, if you listen to all the experts, they say something's coming uh, that's not good. And so as, as pastors, uh, pastors trying to shepherd, here's what we would say. Man, prepare. Be wise, okay? Uh, hey, yeah, I'll definitely meet with you. Uh, counseling, come in. What's the problem? Well, I'm worried I'm going to lose my job. Okay. Um, you know, what did you do last week? Well, I went out and bought a $90,000 pickup because <laughs> I was in a funk, right? And I thought that might make me feel better. So th this is what the funk is doing to us, right? It's causing us to do, uh, to make unwise decisions. And so I just want to encourage you and say, look, through this holiday season, make wise decisions. I'm, I'm worried as your pastor that you're going to go out and you're going to spend twice as much on Christmas this year trying to bring yourself up out of the funk and it's not going to work. 
And so here's what I would say, um, what Mike was just saying. Lean into God, lean into people around you, especially your family. So maybe this holiday season, um, maybe lean into, instead of buying gifts, maybe making gifts for each other. Uh, do something a little bit different. Throw a curveball at it. Um, that's what's going to help us is just leaning into those relationships. Write, write a letter. Write a letter to somebody. Uh, make your gift be about going out and making a memory together. I mean, that's, that's so much more meaningful than just something that ends up on the shelf. Yeah. One of the other things that we want to do, can you guys pull out your phones for a moment? I want you to do me a favor and set an alarm on your phone every day for 9 a.m. We're going to do this for at least for the next seven days, but you can keep going, okay? And what the thought is is to establish an attitude of gratitude. So every morning when the alarm goes off at 9 a.m., think of something that you can be thankful for in that moment and pray it back to God. Your family, your spouse, your job, the sun on your face, something. There's got to be something you can be thankful for in that moment and go ahead and do it. Um, there's a great song that um, I've been kind of clinging to for the last uh, 18 months or so by a guy named Zach Winters called Give Thanks. Um, some of the lyrics, uh, real quick. Um, we all know the pain of living every day, but watch the world change colors when we give thanks. One of the best ways for us to change how we view things is just to be thankful. So here's something really simple. The other thing is on Wednesday night, we're going to have a Thanksgiving Eve service. We love this service. Uh, 7 o'clock, um, we're going to have some worship. We're going to have an open mic and some opportunity that you guys can stand up and share real quick something that God has done that you're thankful for in your life this year. And together, we're just going to praise him and enjoy that, have a time of prayer. It's going to be awesome. And at the end, we'll be pie. Bring pies. <laughs> Don't forget okay? pie. It'll be awesome. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Another practical step would be our input output. What I like to look at is that whatever we are receiving in, it, it transforms our heart and our mind. And so if we're, if we're allowing things, um, whether intentionally, mostly intentionally, unintentionally is a little bit um, out of our control, I think, but intentionally wise, being intentional to not allow those things that are going to steer us away from God and his, his truth. So we want to be allowing things that are um, that are honorable to God and sim similar output when we're in our, in our conversations with people that we don't continue to fuel the fire of some of that negativity or those things that, um, that are actually causing us some of the funk. Um, one of the songs this morning, Tim said the other day that um, while singing worship in church is when people lie the most. You know, we say these things, but do we really do them? And one of the words that stuck out to me or one of the, the thoughts that stuck out this morning was, with every breath that I am able... Let me emphasize, every breath, I'm going to sing the praises of God. Now, that's a great line. How many of us are doing that? And I, I for one, am not. Um, so I think, though, but it's something that we should desire toward. Um, so in doing that, so input-output-wise, we have the next series um, is the Advent series. And this, you guys, is simply for those who haven't, aren't familiar with the term, it's the weeks leading up to Christ's birth and the celebration of that. And so we, we, we are looking forward to that in anticipation to hear about the good news. Yep. If you'll stand with us. I want to give. Can I get that? Just as he's coming up, he's going to read a scripture over us and pray for us uh, before we leave today. On what Ryan just said, I, something just came to my mind. 
uh, input output, right? Um, here's a challenge. Um, maybe leading up to Thanksgiving, we're going to feast, right? We're going to have a big old turkey in the whole bit. At least most of us are because God has blessed us. Maybe uh, fast from um, social media between now and, oh, some of you are like, mm. uh, fast. Wow, I crossed the line there. Uh, fa fast from social media leading up to Thanksgiving and see if you're not more grateful. Yeah, great word. I want to finish with the word of God today to send us out. First Peter chapter 1, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Church, hold on to Jesus. Don't let him go. In the hard times, cling to him, run to him, pray to him, keep trusting in him. In the end, God wins. And when we're with him, we win too. Amen? Amen. Let me pray something over us as we leave. Father, as we go from this place, fill us with the joy of the Holy Spirit that we not be sucked into the negativity of our world, but Lord, we shine the light of Jesus, especially coming into this Christmas season. So many people in this area need to know that there is a Savior, that there is hope beyond this world, and we have that in Jesus. So let us shine that light as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. We love you, church. God bless you. Have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving.